Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. Welcome to a bonus episode of On the Tape with my boys Porter Collins and Vincent Daniel. This is the what are we doing kind of segment. We've done this now three or four times, I believe. We're trying to do this every two weeks or so. A lot going on out there. Guys, how was the weekend? Vinny, first of all, how was that Jet-Pats game? Is it over? I'm, I'm not sure yet. I actually... This is where I want to go, because as you can imagine, let's take us back. We're at Seawolf, right? It's a typical Monday in the winter, and I'm coming in on the Long Island Railroad, and there's probably an (laughs) 80% chance that the Jets lost, and this is kind of like Sex Panther. There's probably a 20% chance on the 80% that it's an epic loss, right? Mm -hmm. And I just know I'm going to hear it for the first two hours of being on the desk, and and. Yesterday was bad. It was bad, right? The only silver lining, Porter, you could attest to this or not, is that we now know that Zach Wilson does not deserve a third year. The film's coming out of how many things he missed during the game. Everything else on the team is pretty much set for the Jets, except for the obviously the most important part of the team. So he's not going to see a third year. That's my guess. I'm just numb to it at this point. You know, like, markets suck. Crypto's blowing up. If it's all fitting, it feels feels really happy place to me. It really led me to what I wanted to really talk about today, in 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 a nice way, in a, in a funny way, but in a, also in a constructive way, which is talk about losers, right? And, and because you know, I just experienced a major loser yesterday. It's a nice Debbie Downer episode. No, 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 and and as it pertains to markets as well, right? Like, and and what do you do when you have a loser on your hands? And how do you manage through it? And how do you deal with it? And I think it's pretty topical today. A lot of losers in the market these days. Yes. I don't know where you want to go, Danny, on the first loser. Where, yeah, where so do you want is, to... yeah, let's get this thing more upbeat. I will say this. So Monday before Thanksgiving, feels like if it wasn't a Monday before Thanksgiving, the markets would be a lot more news flow. When I say news flow, there's a lot of news flow out there, but it would be we're working its way more into the market. But things are actually happening. I mean, there's some big moves here in some stocks. You're seeing some of these 
meme stocks or buy now pay laters which might as well be meme stocks and, and start to really crater again and the carvanas of the world like they're down eight to ten percent today like these are are big moves i don't know if that's just apathy in the market where the buyers have gone maybe they're on a plane somewhere to see their family i don't know but it just feels like there's a lot of orphan status stocks starting to emerge even more so and days like today kind of highlight it to me like i said i'm in my happy place right now this is this is fantastic i think it's you know we, we like to do this all the time Vinny, why are these stocks down? Reality. I think the reality setting in, and we were talking about Carvana today, and he goes, listen, they, they should go. They should go to bankruptcy. It's a better place for them. The, the, the debt's too big. They can't survive. And so I just think that you know we, we've been talking a lot about through the years that you're going to see a big cycle, right? You're going to be a big cycle in, in bankruptcies. And of course, you know, hard to predict these unwinding of crypto, but you know, it, when markets go down and the tide goes out, the frauds get exposed, right? This 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 fraud would not have been exposed had the markets not, you know, collapsed. You know, this cycle you're you're going to see a lot more of them because of all that easy money. And and we now know, and so I'm going to give credit to my man Ben here. Our first episode of taping on the tape, he called he called actually called Bitcoin not a Ponzi scheme but the perfect Ponzi scheme. People will debate us whether it was actually, you know, Bitcoin was a perfect Ponzi scheme, but it, crypto was, right? Crypto wasn't all of it was a Ponzi scheme, and, and FTX obviously is one of the best and most perfect Ponzi schemes we've ever seen, and a lot of people missed it. As you see one part fall apart, you know, three, four other companies down the line, and, and we are not close to the bottom of this thing. So let's let's stay on that topic for a second, since you just went there, kind of. We've seen a lot of frauds in our time, mostly public frauds that, that unwind, and it's normally the stock price going down that forces people to take a deeper look. But we've seen frauds, obviously, private markets as well. This one is interesting only because the amount of intellect, uh, if you want to call it that, that was at the table here, that didn't seem to do the necessary diligence. And it's always after the fact when you look at something like this, right? But it's just amazing. And we know a lot of these players, right? And they're not dumb people that got railroaded or bamboozled or whatever that was going on. And this guy was nothing more, right, than just a, just a charlatan. How deep does this go or whatever? I mean, the whole idea of crypto to me, and I know Vin agrees and Porter, you agree, is that it's it craves regulation, yet it stands to exist because of non-regulation. So where do these things mix and what's going to happen here? Well, it's funny. You know, we have a love affair for pop culture analogy. And I think we're about to enter the phase of Top Gun, I want some butts, right? So remember when Maverick did the flyby on the carrier, pissed off uh, the Admiral or whoever, and you know, then they spilled coffee all over him, and he was just yelling out, I want some butts. And now- That's twice. And right. Exactly. Twice. Yeah. And yeah. right now, I think DC has a lot of egg on their face. History would su strongly suggest that at this point in time, they need to basically get some butts and I'm really worried about the penalties associated with the downfall of crypto. Well, Ben, let's talk a little bit about DC in this in this role, right? And as people know us, Vinny and I are very apolitical people. We hate both parties equally. The money that flowed to the Democratic Party from SBF is unbelievable. And the fact that money allowed him to be completely untouched, right? And, and people... You know, fell for all this stuff, and the financial media didn't look at it. And listen, do I think any of this would have happened if it was a public company? I actually don't, because there's a lot more scrutiny on on the public markets, and it's one of the best parts I think about the public markets. But 
you know, these tech guys or the, or the VC guys, they got FOMO, right? All this stupid stuff that, you know, we're old school people and we hate all these stupid acronyms, YOLO, FOMO, whatever. But they all got it and they chased it and they, they were chasing returns and chasing the next hot, shiny thing. You know, reversion to the mean is a bitch and, and it's, gonna, it's coming. Well, Porter, just to be fair, I mean, in terms of politics of this, both parties get money from every different industry separately. And we've always talked about, I mean, this happens to be in this particular case is front and center, obviously, mm-hmm. and it's going to be scrutinized. But this has been going on for years, this Wall Street, K Street connection, you know, as we used to call it, on, on the Acela, right? That line was just full of this. And we see Ben Bernanke go to Citadel, right? You know, I see the heads from the SEC go to Citadel and other firms, you know, former SEC officials go into private equity. Like, this is a revolving door. Our richest zip codes in America are all outside D.C. I mean, uh, that's why we hate both parties equally. It's it's a problem. Money corrupts, and you and you see it here. No, no, for sure. In this particular case, it's really front and center and exposed just how grand this thing is in, in terms of, you know, in terms of um, how, how much this thing smells here. And so I don't know what the fallout will be. There will be a lot of hearings, obviously, over the next se- several months. We still don't even know how much money is even left in the kitty, so to speak. It seems like every, if I were to guess, every customer deposit is gone. Um, you know, obviously any equity valuation is gone at this point. Um, they owe, you know, north of, I don't know, $10 billion probably total. So there's a particular company we all follow that's kind of out there. There are some public companies which exist right now, which if it does turn out to be a fraud or things do unwind, people will look back and make very similar accusations in the sense of, oh, they, were, they bought politicians. Oh, no one cared that there was no board or a board that didn't do anything. Oh, no one cared about the products that were hurting people. All these things, right? It always comes in after the fact. It's just amazing to me what it takes to get people to point. So let's talk about Tesla for a second in this regard. All Everything's right in front of us with Tesla, right? Yep. In terms of everything they've they done. And you could literally, I'm not going to compare it to FTX. That's probably a little extreme. I talked about it on the podcast last week. But that being said, when you follow a, quote, person, right, into the fire, or you believe in a person so much that you're blinded, and you're FOMO'd, and you're buying a stock that is 600 billion market cap, you don't even care about valuation, because you just want to partner with this, quote, person. And then that person turns not turns out not to be the person that you thought they were. And we're getting a pretty good look right now in real time. And what Elon Musk does, it's something like a Twitter, how he treats his employees, how he governs. The New York Times article a couple weeks ago, a week ago, about his kind of first 48 hours at Twitter when he was firing everybody and and they said, hey, there's labor laws you need to work. There was a quote that said something like, I don't care, we'll just deal with it and pay the fines. And I'm sure that was very accurate. Guys like him, that's their attitude because they've never been checked before. SPF was 30 years old. Musk isn't. It's different. This guy's been around the block. As you were talking, I was thinking about some of the things that you guys talk about all the time with regard to Tesla. And if you think about his moat, right, or his moats, one of the most important moats that he has is that he has been protected by political constituents. I mean, the the infamous Trump-CNBC interview where he says, we must protect our geniuses and the like. And so if I think about it from a political strategy perspective, I think Musk made a critical mistake. And, And what I mean by that is over the last, say, two, three, four months, he has sided more with the Republicans than he has with the Democrats, probably astutely believing that there was going to be a red wave in November. Well, what happened? We did not have a red wave in November. And now he has, so it seems, many Democratic policymakers, senators, and congresspeople who are turning on him. And so as a result, now the question becomes, what do they do about it? 
and it could go one of two ways, as we know, guys. It's either A, they use it and start really coming down on him on the things that we all would love to see them come down on him for, you know, whether it's the NHTSA, the SEC, or they put their wallet in front of them and open up the wallet so that they can get a piece of the pie. And so therefore, he will be protected once again. I don't know which way it goes, probably 50-50, but he is now more exposed now, in my opinion, than he has been in quite some time from a political perspective. Another angle, and there's lots of angles on Tesla, but the, the ESG angle, all these funds FOMO'd themselves into ESG, right? And the number one constituent in the ESG index was Tesla. You know, a lot of things wrong with ESG, but the fact that people thought that environment or energy was number one and who cares about S&G, you know, it's just a total farce. And now I think some of this stuff is starting to get exposed and unraveled. And I think that the flows, while they were working beautifully on the way up, right, S&P ad, Musk not selling, ESG flows, and now everything's flipped the other way. Musk is selling, Larry Ellison selling, Kathy Woods got outflows, ESG funds have outflows, S&P is going down. And so it worked beautifully on the way up. Listen, we've been on the record being short this from 2019 and 2019 and 2020 were painful. But now... Things have flipped, and we, you know, we effectively risk managed that position. Took tax losses effectively in, in both those years in December, and now we're we're looking pretty good. About to cross over and actually make money in this position over its lifetime. Short, Vinny was talking about managing losers, and and you know, being able to stay in the trade even when you're wrong. I mean, yes, we were stubborn in this one; that was obvious. But we were we 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 saw it through and and stayed short through the through the most painful squeezes, and I'm. Pretty happy that we did. <laughs> Let's just say this, okay? I can hear people that don't want to be shorter, totally get it, okay? But to want to be long this, I, I, you can't find me a compelling reason. I'm not going with the Kathy Wood playbook, this asinine playbook, dream the dream with robo-taxis and all this shit. We're talking three DOJ investigations separate. We're talking multiple agencies that are looking into it, right? We're talking continued SEC violations, right? Whether they get fined occasionally or not, I don't know. Lack of corporate governance, to your point, Porter, on the ESG side of things. The S&G is a joke. And on the E side of things, sure, he made electric cars, but let's not kid ourselves. He sells tax credits to stay alive so the fossil fuel companies can keep making cars. He's digging in lithium mines. He's over in China. There's nothing you can tell me about this guy that you know is not just self-serving or whatever. But at the end of the day, what I can't get my arms around, and we're starting to see it now finally unravel, is why would you ever be long it? I, again, I'll separate wanting to be short a stock from being long. There is not a compelling reason, and you cannot give me one to be long this. And when this does play out over time, and you know, again, the way the SEC works, we know how government agencies work. They don't want to be the ones that are seem to be the blame for taking a company down, right? In in, in this case. You won't see a lot until the stock's at 50 or 40 or $30, in my opinion, in terms of, oh, here comes the government. Oh, thank you so much. Because any investor, by the way, shame on them. I don't need the SEC to tell me what this company is all about. So we see this from time to time. And let me just shift back to Carvana for a second. And Vinny and I were working together with Steve, again, in the mid-90s, when Ernie Garcia II brought Ugly Duckling public and drilled it into the ground. This was not new for him, what he did with the subsidiary and the finance subsidiary that he he had a Carvana. It's just amazing whether it's a generational difference of, you know, 20 years later, whatever it might be, that people just don't realize that people's personalities don't change. And it is what, you know, drives the culture of a company. And in this case, to me, it's just obvious. It's just a question of when, not if. The great thing about Carvana from the short side, and I've spoken to a lot of friends and friends who of people who have 
material investments in the name. And they're like, what did you see? And aside from our history of knowledge of the space, particularly the subprime space, it was like, guys, it was the balance sheet. Simple as that. And, and if you look at the balance sheet right now, they simply have too much debt and too much interest expense to cover any potential profits of which they don't have right now, any potential profits that are going to come over the next two, three years. So to me, just using my logical head, the best thing for this company is to go bankrupt as soon as possible. And I'm not trying to be a jerk or an a-hole saying that. I'm just looking at the tail of the tape and saying, if I was an employee of Carvana, you need to get rid of this interest expense as soon as humanly possible so that you could be a viable entity. And I do believe that once you, A, get rid of all of the debt, so you, you restructure the cap structure, and B, of course, get rid of the Garcias, you might be able to effectively compete with who I think is the best in class in the space, which is, which is CarMax. And I know that's hard to believe, but just they have built a mousetrap that could work. You just need to get rid of a bunch of the poison in order for it to happen. You know what this is similar to, Vinny? Twitter. Yes. Right? The interest costs that Musk is now paying is 2x the best ever adjusted EBITDA year. But to be fair, Twitter has other issues, right? Which is the, the cult of personality that now runs it. There's, I hate to say it, it's, it's, it's very political. Half the people absolutely love him, and a lot of people hate him. And this gets back to his whole political gambit that he played. And if this starts to continue to piss off the advertisers, then he's got a revenue stream hole there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, To Porter's point, it doesn't even matter on Twitter. I mean, there's just, they don't have a viable business model they'll be able to put in place in time, right, to make these payments. And, you know, again, I have no sympathy for obviously the banks that, that put up the money for this, for, you know, for the debt here and holding, you know, $12.5, $13 billion, or what it may be. Whether they could have gotten out of it or not, whether they wanted to see the deal go through or not, I don't know. But it, it's hard for me to see Twitter being worth anything more than the debt. And it's probably worth less than the debt. And you're literally, the company is being undone in front of our eyes. And again, you're seeing the real Elon Musk. And this is not a company that he built the culture of. He helped form the culture at Tesla. He didn't He didn't start Tesla for people out there. Nope, he kicked out the founders and took it over himself. But whether it's a SpaceX or a Tesla, he's been able to kind of control the culture of a company. This one, he came in and it's a wrecking ball. And you can see how he operates. I mean, he's just, you know, whims and... It'll, it'll be it'll be really interesting, Danny, if to see like the in, in the post mortem on this, and whether the risk committees waived <laughs> all, the, committees. All, all, all the all the at the banks on the, the covenants, right? Because this is a massive LBO. The total cumulative profitability of Elon Musk as an investment banking client after this hickey, right? Which we assumed is going to be. Is it still worthwhile? I mean, perhaps probably for Morgan Stanley which is the lead banker for Musk, but for everybody else. If, you, if you're losing more money than you're making on a prospective client, it changes your, your point of view as to whether they should be a client going forward. You're not going to write bullshit research reports on them saying that? Right. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I'm not going to speculate on how they push this deal across the finish line 
with not requiring more cash, right, come up. I have to believe, and I haven't seen this unless you guys have, that Musk has pledged his shares. He already had pledged his shares, remember, for loans outstanding, separate away from the Twitter deal. But I'm guessing that this is this is what we're seeing around how the stock is acting and how I think it will continue to act. It's Musk will be continuously forced to sell stock to come up if there are any covenants, right, that are required to make whole or capital that's going to be required. We don't know that yet. Have you guys seen anything to do with kind of what these covenants look like? Because it seems to me that he is probably fully pledged here no. with all of his stock outstanding. I, mean, I think so. the, the common denominator of what Vinny and I and you harp on all the time is, is too much debt, right? And, and, you know, he had spinning plates, a lot of leverage, and same with SPF, right? They had, they had way too much debt, you know, a lot of spinning plates and, and a lot of distractions, a lot of everything. You know, I, I like to keep my life pretty simple, right? And uh, the more complex it gets, the harder it is to manage all this shit. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up kind of the single name Carvana crap, Tesla stuff, Musk, SBF, although I'm sure we may hit it. When we come back, let's talk about kind of the energy sector, the volatility in the commodities themselves, and then maybe talk about what you're kind of looking out for 2023. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry iConnections membership-only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. The energy sector has been in focus for the several years now, but particularly today with news that OPEC may increase production ahead of the Russia embargo. China had COVID deaths, and now they're you know potentially retrenching again for, from a demand perspective. But certainly oil itself continues to be volatile. I know you have to pay attention to it. Obviously, it's the underlying security or commodity, obviously, that helps price all energy assets across the board. So give us your current thoughts here. And it's just the type of drawdown that you would buy on weakness for some of these energy stocks? And is there a level that oil goes to where you're like, you know what, it's going to be hard really to model these companies going forward? Well, I, I will say that, you know, I'll correct your, your statement, is is not the, the commodity that prices all energy equities. And, you know, for the people that have cared about, you know, the, the, our investment in coal and coal stocks is a bit different, right? And, and coal, coal, yes, has had a pullback from those all-time highs, but it's actually hanging up in there pretty nicely. It's actually up today, along with, along with Nat Gas. So, you know, we have bifurcated the, the energy industry and, you know, we just keep going back to look at the cash flows and look at the cash flows of some of these coal companies and they're pretty darn good. 
yes, on the on the oil pullback, that is quite something. The most recent week or so, it's down about ten bucks or something like that. I think if you take the news in totality, right, that OPEC was already three million barrels under their quota before they made the two million barrel cut a couple of weeks ago, and then now that they're increasing five hundred thousand to their their production, it's sort of like. Who cares? I, I, you know, I, I know it, it, it matters for narrative and stuff like that. But you know, like I think if you're bullish on oil equities, you kind of look at it in totality and say, you know, demand is at an all time high right now. Yes, people are questioning where, what's 23 look like. What I'm saying, Porter, is I totally agree with you. And nat gas and coal are related versus oil and coal. I, I totally understand that. What I'm saying is, there's people out there that I think have been waiting to buy the sector. And what I'm saying is, you know, just kind of dumb it down here, right? In terms of they're going to watch oil and make a decision. What I'm saying is you guys are well beyond that. You looking at the cash flows of companies that are going to be doing well regardless. You know, oil would have to get to 55 or $60 for you to really start to rethink your position. What I'm saying is you think this is a head fake in terms of oil coming down or you're not going to try to predict it. You know, what's going on out there, I agree with you. It's just volatile and not, it's just crazy to me how all these commodities, whether it's rates, oil trade like this, right? In $10 bands, $7 bands, 50 basis point bands, things like this. I just think that's obviously here to stay in terms of volatility in the markets. I'm just trying to make sense of how you use it constructively in terms of you know approaching your positions. Like something you would add to today is what I'm saying. The energy stocks are obviously down today. I don't know, three to 5%. I haven't looked in real time here. I know I'm watching the OIH and the XLE and all this stuff. And I know you're bottom up guys. I'm just saying in general, do you think this is presenting an opportunity potentially add or for people to start buying some of these energy stocks? Well, I said at the beginning of this podcast, first off, the, uh, the name of what we're doing is what are we doing? So I think it's pretty important to talk about what are we doing because we are known and in, in that we do have energy exposure, right? The other thing I spoke about earlier in this podcast was to talk about losers. So at this point in time, it's probably pretty important to talk about a position we have, which is energy and what are we doing? Because like Zach Wilson yesterday, it feels like it's losing and losing badly. In the terms of Zach Wilson, you're going to get rid of them, right? But what do you do with your energy positions? And so the first thing we do is to take a look at our portfolio, where our exposures lie, and where we sit, name by name. The other thing we do is we assess the information that came out there, whether it's live or whether it's Memorex. And then the third thing we do, which we do now more than we've ever done before, which is to consolidate Take tax losses when you could, because that's an important part uh, as we're, for us. We really don't have outside investors, but what we do have are tax liabilities or tax gains. So if places where we could reduce our tax liability, we're going to do so, and then consolidate them into our favorite names. So essentially reduce the number of names we have and probably increase our concentration in our favorite names. And that's pretty much what we're doing right now. In terms of the news flow, and it's still early because it just came out a few hours ago, the reasons for OPEC apparently saying what they might do is a function of either A, you have potentially a Russian oil embargo coming in December and, and oil is coming off the market, B, our country just granted immunity to MBS for the assassination of Khashoggi, or C, China's about to come on board at some point and increase demand they have. So in, in some respects, in a vacuum, the news flow looks horrible. But when you take it in the context of what the reasons why they're doing what they're doing, if they do it, I apologize because they haven't done it yet, it's not as bad as it seems. 
what, what you were asking, Danny. Yes, on a day like today, we're increasing our oil exposure. We like to be like uh, Rocky Balboa. You, you keep taking the punches and, and, and you just stand there. And listen, if the facts change and something material changes, yes, we'll cut bait. But here, you know, we're not going to cut bait. We, we have cut back. One of the names we, we were in is a European natural gas and, and oil producer. And, you know, the, the, the windfall taxes, when they came, kind of scared us. And if you look at what the UK did, is they, they talking about the windfall taxes, not just retroactively to 22, but they were talking about windfall taxes out to 28. I think if you're looking at any energy company or any company that has exposure to that in Europe, you got to be like, hmm, I, I, I got to think about this because as the three of us know, governments can change the rules anytime they want. And, you know, it, they happened to us in the financial crisis with, with well, you know, short selling bans, you know, windfall bank taxes, all this type of stuff. And so when, when noise starts happening, you know, we, we, we say, you know, we, we got to watch. And so that particular uh, position, Vermilion Energy, we, we cut back and cut back hard. Let me just say that this has been a incredible secular trade, right? This is not just cyclical. This has been, you know, a kind of a revamp of the ESG stuff that's been out there, the underinvestment, incredible cash flows and balance sheets that everyone should be looking for in any company right now that happens to exist in the sector. So this is not a, oh, I told you so or anything like that. I'm totally on board with you guys. I'm just saying for people out there, I feel like every time that oil trades like this, they'll dance on the bulls. I told you so. Meanwhile, the sector's up a lot, and I don't think there's any sign to say that this is not going to continue, barring some massive demand destruction, which we've been dealing with China, COVID lockdowns and unlocks for now three years, right? It's not That's not new. And you throw an OPEC in on a week where the market is not that liquid, you'll get moves like this. And so my inclination, if I could offer mine, is this is when you add or start buying if you have underexposed to energy, because I think as we move forward which is where I want to shift this conversation now in the last few minutes to kind of 2023. Hopefully we'll get on air one more time with you guys as we go into it. But just as we kind of look to 2023, this setup is is not pretty from a macro environment. Geopolitically, interest rates, even if the Fed stops, you know, the, the damage is still going to be felt. The economy has one direction to go in the U.S., right, from an employment perspective. So give me your guys' thoughts on how you're thinking about going into 2023. And then if you use the month of December to kind of, Vinny, do the Barney cleanup in the portfolio, forget about tax loss selling, how you want to position going in? Because I think to me over the next kind of five weeks, that's what I'm going to be looking to do. Let's talk about it because first we have to acknowledge that there's been a pretty big market rally over the past month and a half, absent the last few days, right? And to me, it's it's a battle between sentiment versus economic reality. At least for me, I like to weigh one versus the other. One is very short-term oriented and can continue and that's the sentiment, even though sentiment is not as oversold as it was in late September, early October. Most of those oversold conditions are gone, right? But from an economic perspective, Danny, I agree with you. It's, it's really tough from an economic perspective to own this market. And that's because, to me, we have yet to go through the downdraft in economic numbers we think we're going to see. And let me, let me put some numbers into context. We were in our past life, we were financial guys. We rely on financial data from the financial services industry to make some of our decisions. And in particular, some of the credit card data. And you guys were talking about it last week. Here, here are some numbers. And, and these numbers come out every month by the credit card companies, which is their receivable balances, their delinquencies, and their, and their defaults. Discover credit card, their, their receivables are growing 20.3% year over year. Capital One, 22% year over year. American Express, the consumer cards are at 
and their small business is at 36%. So when we see numbers like that, and Danny, you, you know where I would be on the Seawolf desk screaming, it's really difficult to see economic growth in 2023 when consumer credit, particularly credit card debt, has grown that fast. It's just impossible, I think. So as a result, we are going to have a slower economy over the next six months in 2023, my view. I totally agree with what you, with you said earlier about oil. I think that's something where you look to buy the, buy the dip in, in those names. And I don't think this trade is in any way finished yet. So that's, that's how we're thinking about it. I would things. say on the credit card, Vinny, I think, right, it's human nature, right? And I don't think this is why there's a lag effect, uh, both on the business side and personal side for people in terms of what the Fed does. Uh, people are just starting to realize if they carry a credit card balance, right, over time that it's not you know, 3.99%. It's not even 5.99%. It's jacking up into the mid-teens probably at this point. And so the inability to pay that back basically feeds on itself. And to your point, it feels like, and someone asked this question a couple months ago, you know, how do you explain or reconcile all the consumer spending? And I said, it was really a COVID relief rally to a degree. I think people were pent up. They're out spending money on services, right? They stopped buying obviously goods as much as they did, and they started experiencing things. And when you're out experiencing things, you're in restaurants, right? You're in concerts, and you're using your credit card all the time. And I think that we had this kind of pent-up demand, unfortunately, at the same time, right, that money's being pulled out of the system. And when you pull it back, it's really as simple as, you know, Mike Wilson talks about this all the time. Again, I wish I'd listened to him a month ago when he went bullish. But that's different is when, you know, it's just M2, it's money supply. And as that starts to dwindle or go negative, right, that's it. It's, it's pretty much that simple in terms of the amount of money chasing, you know, that's kind of out there and slushing around. It's, it's getting smaller. And so to me, that's going to be a major theme, obviously. And even if the Fed does pivot, they're not cutting anytime soon. And if they were to cut soon, say in the first three months, somehow in the first quarter of 2023, what happened? Like, why are they cutting? And I don't even think they will. To me, this whole dependency and obsession on the Fed about CPI being 0.2 or 0.3 different. And then one number comes out and just knocks that completely out, right? Um, what that looks like. So I'm watching stuff like that, watching the sentiment, but I do feel like we're on borrowed time in that degree, Porter. I think you, you would agree on that. Yeah. Hey, Danny, as we wrap up here, I was going to tell a story. You know, we're thinking about SPF and 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 his uh, financial states statements being worthless. I have a story about Steve and-, and Is this the toilet paper? Yes. And so, and so, so uh, remember, Steve is a bit like Larry David. He'll say anything, does anything. So, this Japanese, I don't know, banker insurance company, insurance company, insurance comes into the office. And first of all, Steve was obsessed with the way that he presented his business card to them. You know, because they take two hands and they bow, and so there's like 17 of these executives. So Steve does every single executive and bows, looks them in the eye, like like ha, and so then like. Almost the last guy comes in, the, and the CFO hands him, and none of these guys speak English, and the CFO hands him, uh, Steve, his, his business card with one hand, and Steve goes, no, you can't do that. You two hands. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And so, and so the, the guy sits down, and, and the CEO sits down, and, and he's talking through the interpreter, and Steve is not even listening to any part of it. He's taking, He's looking at their their pitch book, and he's just swiping, swipe, 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 reading this stuff. And he, he goes, he interrupts him, and he goes, wait, 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 wait. He goes, and he turns to the interpreter, he goes, translate this exactly. Do you know what this is? This is toilet paper. And the, the interpreter looks at Steve like, 
I, I can't say that. And he tells him, and the interpreter comes back, and the uh, the bank CEO's like, ah. Oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, but you remember why yes. he said it was toilet paper? I do remember why. They didn't own any stock. They exactly. Owned, they owned zero stock, and he was so pissed off that these guys were doing X, Y, Z without having any ownership. It drove him insane. Yeah, but in, in Japan, it's not customary to own stock in the companies that you obviously work for. I think that was the answer that came through. And Steve said, this is toilet paper. And they all looked at each other. They thought this <laughs> translation was wrong. I got up and kind of slowly walked out of there like I normally do. In the, and by the way, just for the record on that, you know, in the big short where Steve did put up the zero sign, I was literally the one next to him sitting there, scrap, you know, just going lower in my seat by the second. And then he did take a phone call and walk out of there and left me in that room. I was not going to be left in that room with, with those guys. But, yeah, that was uh, quite an experience. But I'll so, tell you, the, the, yeah. the 20 minute theatrics of doing the business card, it was like that oh, was just as so priceless. Good. <laughs> so oh, good. It's amazing. It's amazing. And he ordered bacon cheeseburgers when he had our, our investors in there that kept kosher all the time time and oh. was eating the bacon cheeseburger. There was so many great, great stories. But listen, that's probably a great setup for what's going to happen in, t- in 2023 because you better bring a sense of humor to everything that's about to happen because I think it's going to be, you know, a, a bit rough. But this, uh, always, yeah. this is toilet paper. This is toilet paper. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, guys, listen, it's always great to catch up with you guys. And I know we'll be back in a couple weeks to do this again. But uh, your calls have been phenomenal. I'm waiting for you to take outside capital. Just say the word. Uh, and I'll be your first investor. But anyway, th- guys, thanks for coming on to What Are We Doing? Oh, great stuff, Danny. Thanks, Danny. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.